The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's one of the favorites of our guest today. He likes to call himself a jack-of-all-trades in terms of his experiences in entertainment media. He's an actor, he's someone who's worked with musicians on several scoring projects, and he's branching out into directing and editing. I hope everyone will please join me in welcoming Jonathan McIntosh to the program. Oh, Frank, it's great to be here. I can't wait to geek out about some film scores. <clears throat> Sounds good. That's a... Uh, kind of how we got connected in the first place. So like a lot of my guests, uh, we're meeting for the first time here on the on the program. I mean, we've been long friends on Facebook, but uh, have never talked, so I'm looking forward to today. Um, like we do with a lot of our guests, I a little bit about them outside of the entertainment industry. So if you would be so kind, maybe just kind of tell us a little bit about, you, a little bit about yourself uh, you know, growing up and where you've lived and day jobs and things like that. Sure, sure. Uh, I grew up mostly in Louisiana, uh, but I'm from Pensacola, Florida originally, uh, and I wound up back in this area uh, about uh, 2006, right after Hurricane Katrina. But mm-hmm. it's basically my time in Louisiana that really sparked my fascination with the things that we're going to talk about today, whether it was acting, film scores, just movies in general. Uh, I learned quite a bit uh, of, you know, about the industry when I was in Louisiana, way okay. before it became Hollywood South. So, and, what was it that uh, that uh, prompted your move back from Louisiana to Pensacola, if if that's okay to ask? Well, it, it was basically uh, Hurricane Katrina. Uh, I was going through a really rough time uh, in my life when the hurricane hit. So I always like to joke that, you know, my ex-wife at the time took half of everything and then Katrina came in and took the rest. Oh, geez. So so I basically looked at that as a life reboot. Mm -hmm. I had in Pensacola. So instead of relying on uh, Uncle Sam uh, to try and get by while, you know, the city and, you know, People around me uh, tried to sort out the things that were going on. Uh, I hightailed it over to Pensacola, uh, where my mom was living at the time, and just camped out there while the rest of the world waited to see what was going to happen with you know New Orleans. 
And I was here a couple of weeks, decided to plant roots because I knew it was going to be a, quite a while before life became normal again for the city. Right. And, uh, you know, wasn't much longer after that where I met my wife and there we are. Oh, that's excellent. So it, um, yeah, it's funny how things work sometimes. Uh, what seems bad at the time ends up bringing you to something that's really positive and good. Well, like you, I'm an actor, and I'm uh, curious, do you, because uh, sometimes you can't live on acting alone, uh, do you have a, a day job or day, jo- day jobs, a career outside of acting that you've done? Oh, absolutely. Uh you know, for the uh, for a huge number of years, I was with a corporate organization, uh, a banking organization, and as I was starting to uh, fan the flames of acting again, because I, I took a, I guess a, a multiple year sabbatical to focus on family and a few other things, mm-hmm. and then I just reached a point where acting was really calling and my the corporate job just wasn't flexible enough so i stepped away from that and found a consulting job which i'm still currently doing uh, where uh, the folks who run that organization are deeply understanding and the only request they have of me is should i ever win a major award uh, they would like thank yous and Mm -hmm. i said So anytime I get the chance to uh, find my way back to the city to, you know, shoot for a day or two on a production, uh, they're very understanding. If I have to, you know, knock out an audition in an hour or two's time, they completely give me the ability to do that. Okay. So what is it that you consult on? I mean, is it uh, 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 business or human resources or finance or just? Basically, uh, I work with hospitals across the country, uh, a couple of states specifically up in the uh, northeast, uh, where I just help them manage uh, their funds when it comes to certain environmental services. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, turning to the uh, to the list of scores that you chose, it's, by the way, a great list. A couple of them I'm familiar with. Some I'm not, so I'm excited and, uh, to learn about uh, about these different scores and composers that I'm not familiar with. And the first one is is an example of that because I I've heard the name Trevor Jones, but I I'm not familiar really with his work. And you had uh, chosen I think a couple of cues from a film called Nate and Hayes, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, how it was that that uh, made your list of favorites. Well, Nate and Hayes is a movie uh, that came out in 1983. I was about nine or 10 at the time. And, you know, this was very early uh, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Michael O'Keefe. It's one of those probably straight to VHS movies at the time, because I (laughs) I can't really remember how long, if at all, it was ever in theaters. I just remember seeing it on television or maybe my parents rented it one day. And it was directed by a, a gentleman by the name of Ferdinand Fairfax, which to me basically emotes Alan Smithy. Um, Trevor Jones, the composer, he, he's done The Dark Crystal, 
uh, Excalibur. Uh, hmm. He had a hand in the Daniel Day-Lewis, Last of the Mohicans. Uh, this score was one of the things that when I watched the film immediately jumped out to me, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, this is basically, you could call Nathan Hayes, uh, the original Jim that probably spawned the pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh, okay. the, the score itself is very, uh, corn gold esque. Mm-hmm. So you're familiar with those swashbuckling themes of the past, then this definitely uh, brings back the memories of those sword fights, you know, uh, down castle steps and whatnot. Uh, But if you watch the movie, Nathan Hayes, there are a lot of things that happen narratively that happened in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I'm like, Mm. gee, a lot of similarities (laughs) here. (laughs) No, it's just, I like a lot of uh, obscure films from the 80s. And this one just stood out to me because, like I was telling you earlier, we, you know, when you asked, you know, to pick certain scores, it was very hard for me because I wanted to throw some gems out there that may not have the publicity or, you know, people aren't very familiar with them, but they're very near and dear to me mm-hmm. because they were part of, you know, my childhood. Yeah, yeah. What uh, do you recall? What cues it is that we're going to play from the score? If I'm not uh, mistaken, uh, one of them is the escape from uh, Mummy Village, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that one uh, segues into a track called "Hayes Fights Mummy Women on the Bridge." It's basically uh, the two pirates uh, getting away from uh, a savage group of individuals who they've trespassed on their island and. Uh, they're running for their lives. And the other one is the end credit sequence, which basically features the, the fanfare from the film. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's take a listen to this. This is a, a couple of cues from the film, Nate and Hayes. It's written by composer Trevor Jones.
briefly, but I am kind of curious. So what was it that that got you interested? You're not a musician. Um, so I'm curious what it is that got you interested in film music to begin with. Oh, wow. Uh, that goes back to Star Wars. Okay. Four. Uh, when an aunt of mine took me to see the film and of course just like a lot of other uh, fans of the you know space opera the music immediately jumps at you you know when the title crawl pops up on the screen and literally yeah overwhelmed with this symphonic masterpiece that just takes you immediately into this other world and that, plus the fact that <clears throat> growing up, uh, the first two soundtracks that I remember seeing my parents owning was the vinyl copy of Star Wars and, surprisingly enough, Grease. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, I, go ahead. I have heard uh, many people, uh, in fact, we've had several guests that have had the, the, the exact same story that Star Wars got them. Uh, interested in it, and I and I've heard anecdotally, I guess, basically in in uh, some articles that that film might have been actually a, a created a renaissance in in film music interest. Uh, that once that film came out, it was like soundtracks all of a sudden got cool again. So you, mm. you're not uh, you're not alone in that. A lot of people found that as a, a genesis for their love of of film music. So that's that's interesting that you kind of follow along those same lines. Um, you, the, the next film you chose, and this score is an absolute favorite of mine, and there are all sorts of reasons why, so I'd love to hear what you, what your thoughts are on it. Uh, the film we're talking about is The uh, the Natural, written by one of the uh, family of Newmans, uh, Randy Newman, uh, who did the score for this. Talk to, to us a little bit about uh, what your thinking was in, in including this in your list of favorites. Well... Randy Newman, of course, has just gotten a lot of uh, recognition from the uh, Academy Awards folks, you know, this past uh, award season for his work on Toy Story 4. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he is still very prominently out there among, you know, award winning composers uh, just speaks volumes to how long that, you know, he's been in the business. Uh, the natural, again, you know, I chose a lot of films from the early 80s uh, simply because that was just it hit me. I, mean, I guess it was a, a special time for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and baseball was a huge pastime in the Macintosh household for a number of years. <laughs> and I can't remember exactly how I watched it, but I know my mother was a huge fan of the film. So when she was passionate about stuff like that, uh, my brothers and I would, obviously we would sit down with a huge bucket of popcorn and, <laughs> you know, okay, what is mom so hyped up about, you know, about this movie? And the fact that the character Roy Hobbs goes on this journey from, you know, this wonderkin child baseball player up through, you know, an opportunity where, you know, he's on the cusp of greatness only to have it taken away from him due to a, a tragedy. 
only years later to find himself, you know, playing in the major leagues and everybody is just gobsmacked about, okay, here's this aging athlete, yet he's playing at the top of his game. And the thing that really took it to a whole other level was the amazing score by Randy Newman. Mm. And, you know, it, it's interesting too, because he's, I think in the public general public, he's known more as being a songwriter mm-hmm. as opposed to writing scores, but he, he writes terrific scores. And what I always found interesting about this was that it, it seemed to me to, the score seemed to me to, to really capture the mood and the atmosphere of, of what life was like in, at, at that time. I, I guess, what does this take place? What do you think? Like in the thirties or forties is. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, some, uh, it just seems to me to capture Americana so well. And I know one of the cues that you chose here, it has some of the most awe inspiring music I think I've ever heard. Uh, it, it, do you have similar thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, the, the ones I sent you were uh, a short little track called Winning, and that's when the team, the, the Brooklyn Knights, or the New York Knights, uh, if I can remember, uh, are basically on this huge win streak. And then the other one is, it, if you listen to it, it's got a little bit of the take me out to the ball game uh, theme embedded right. in it. And it's the final game of the movie. And, you know, at this point, the main character, Roy Hobbs, is coming back from another possible tragedy. So he just keeps overcoming all of these odds. And the music that Randy scored to go along with it just, it makes your heart sore. At least it does well. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Just like the magic that. The, you know that you see on the screen that director Barry Levinson you know was able to capture along with Newman's score it just it's one of those things that really stood out to me and I use it if I if I need to find some quick inspiration it's one of the the first mm-hmm. piece of music that I you know reach for because I can just close my eyes and you know, there, there's a specific shot where Roy Hobbs just knocks the cover off of a baseball after he hits it. And everybody's like, where's the ball? <laughs> yeah. And, and they're, yeah. All, they're look, where did, where did it go? And then one of the outfielders picks up the rubber, you know, because the, co- the cover is completely yeah, disintegrated yeah. and like the power uh, and emotion that, you know, that and a few other, you know, soaring shots of the baseball as it flies out of the ballpark just really reaches into my soul. I mean, the the strings, the soft horns as it builds to a you know wonderful crescendo is just, yeah, it, it's one yeah. of those that can really, I mean, if you, if I find myself in a specific emotional moment, I, I can, I'll definitely shed a tear. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's hear it for ourselves. We've built it up plenty, so uh, I think uh, if you if our, anyone in our audience has not heard this before, I think you're in for a real treat. These are uh, several cues from the the film called The Natural, and it's written by Randy Newman.
wasn't your um primarily in in the uh, entertainment industry you've been interested in acting but you seem to be getting into a particular aspect of filmmaking that you uh, like more than than others oh goodness uh well acting has always been the the primary interest or the the area that i've wanted to focus on uh the most but over the years as i've you know uh, watched friends and colleagues do their thing in the industry in one department or another, uh, creating stories, you know, um, writing scripts and, you know, just um, creating what we can see on, you know, film or television. That's just in itself uh, an amazing experience, you know, creating these characters, which you hope folks can relate to putting words in their mouths and, uh, just seeing them come to life. So, you know, that's an area that I've really been uh, trying to uh, work on myself. But there's also the directing aspect. Uh, I've produced a couple of things, but in the last couple of months, uh, I was asked to uh, direct a few episodes of a, a brand new web series uh, that's still in production called Kookville. And it's about uh, a blacklisted newspaper journalist who finds himself in a very uh, northern exposure-esque situation in a small (laughs) Florida town and uh, getting to craft uh, and mold the characters uh, for these few episodes that I've had the privilege of working on. um, I can definitely see... uh, pursuing directing uh, a lot more in the future okay it um you, you know you were talking about the the list that you chose and how you maybe didn't want to make the easy choices um and yet i well i don't know if this was if i classify it as an easy uh piece of music written by uh, Ennio morricone Called Cinema Paradiso, I guess it sounds pronounced. Right? Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. us among your uh, favorite scores. Well, this one stands out simply because it was the first foreign film uh, that I actually saw in a theater. Uh, my father uh, was a little bit more. Uh, uh, his taste in movies was a lot different than mine. And, you know, he was definitely, uh, if it's not the Godfather, Goodfellas, or, uh, you know, films along those lines, mm-hmm. he, he it just didn't appeal to him. But he also liked checking out, um, you know, there was the, the theater at uh, Canal Place. Uh, and that's where I remember seeing Cinema Paradiso. Um, he just, it, it was in the theater at the time. He said, you know, let's go check something out. I'm like, okay, it's, hey, it's a movie. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> and, you know, and he told me a little bit about the fact that it's a foreign film that we're going to have to read subtitles. I was like, whoa, wait a second. You know, you mean I actually have to read <laughs> what's going on? I mean, it was, like I said, it was my first experience with a foreign film. You provided a couple of Part of the score from Cinema Paradiso, written by the maestro Ennio Morricone.
Another one on your list is a is a, a a classic film. It's been ages since I've seen it, but uh, but I always liked it. Uh, we're talking about the Time Machine, uh, written by uh, here's a composer I'm not familiar with, uh, Klaus Bedelt, I guess. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. I apologize if I have it wrong. Tell us yeah. a little bit about your uh, choosing that for your list of favorites. Well, Prior to this time machine, uh, the one that we'll uh, listen to is the remake from 2002. Uh, other than the fact that you know uh, the name and the source material uh, originate from the H.G. Uh, Wells uh, short story, uh, you know, and there was a, a film adaptation by George Powell in 1960. 
that itself is a wonderful film uh, experience. Uh, the score uh, is was definitely wonderful and soaring for its time. But then here we are in 2002, and the really cool thing about it was uh, Simon Wells, uh, who uh, is a, uh, I think he was the great great grandson of H.G. Wells, mm-hmm. directed the film. Huh. And you know, it's it's one of those situations where the film was okay. But the score was phenomenal. And uh, Klaus, uh, he had, uh, he, he's one of the uh, many composers that find their way uh, to certain projects because of their association with uh, Hans Zimmer. Ah, okay. He's part of that group. Okay. Right, right, right. So uh, uh, Klaus is also responsible for the very first Pirates of the Caribbean score. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's another one of his uh, major accomplishments. But the the time machine, uh, which was uh, written uh, about a year before Pirates of the Caribbean came out, uh, is just the the soundtrack itself uh, is about uh, I want to say uh, fifteen or sixteen tracks total, and mm-hmm. it's a very complete score. There were a certain number of cues. You've got the rousing time travel uh, overture. Uh, there's a love theme. Uh, there's the Morlocks theme uh, that they threw in there. Uh, but on the whole, I, I, there's not one part of the score that I feel like, I, okay, I, I, track one and two might be great, but then you know the others are wishy-washy before you know gets back into some really um whiz bang melodical stuff in later tracks no from track one all the way through the end everything is just it takes you on a wonderful journey musically from beginning to end and i can listen to that entire cd over and over again get lost in it and you know it's like whoa time flies uh just the the way that Klaus weaves the tapestry of, you know, what you see on screen along with the, cause it's very, um, horn and string heavy. So, uh, and the tracks that, uh, we'll listen to, uh, you know, I know I, uh, I sent you the one where he's traveling from, um, the past, which I think is the, uh, the early 1900s at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, this remake anyway up to uh where he meets the eloy in the uh way far away future uh it's it, that alone uh combined with the visuals that they you know put on screen it, it's 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 almost hard to um describe for me because uh I, it's again it's one of those um compositions where the music does a lot of the talking. I mean, yeah, the, the visuals on screen help, but you really don't need to watch the movie in order to understand what's going on. And when that happens, 
You know, it's a lot like when John Williams creates different themes for uh, characters in Star Wars and whatnot. Uh, you can basically tell what's going on by the different themes that you're hearing. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hear this for ourselves then. We've got a couple of cues from this film. And did I hear, understand right? This is from 2002? Yes, sir. Okay. film is called, and it's written by Klaus Baldet.
So, well, that that made your list of favorites, Raise the Titanic, which we were going to play some selections from here in a moment. So expand on that a little bit because it's, sure. it's kind of an obscure film. There's a lot of people that probably have never seen it and others that uh, aren't even familiar with it. So tell us a little bit about your choosing that particular score. The score that John Barry created just is not as deserving. You know, the film does not deserve the score that Barry created for it. You know, and it's very interesting, too. This is one of the the best scores I think he ever wrote that never received uh, an album release. And what's fascinating is that uh, a couple of years ago, actually, uh, uh, a release did come forth, but it's not the original recording. Right. And the and the the actual score, the written score wasn't available. And uh, thanks to Nick Rain and some of his great work, it literally goes in by ear and gets to recreate the entire score, but just by listening by ear. And it's just fascinating. And it's actually it's pretty doggone close to the original. It's not there are times you can tell a little bit of difference, but by and large, it's pretty close to the original. Oh yeah, the fact that Nick was able to do that, you know, considering, you know, that everything is supposedly lost to time or what have you. Um, the funny thing is, is that when all of this happened, uh, he had just buried one for out of Africa. And, uh, at that point in time, I think that's when the public was starting to hunger for, you know, raise the Titanic and a couple of other, his other scores and, you know, had that not happened, you know, who knows where, you know, Raise the Titanic would be symphonically. But there was a CD that I had stumbled across that um, was uh, an, roughly an eight minute suite. Right. Um, the, uh, you know, the main Raise the Titanic theme and, and a, a, I guess a middle cue to bridge the, the beginning and the end that I was like, okay, I at least have eight minutes of one of my favorite scores of all time. <laughs> and every once in a while, uh, I found myself Googling, you know, is there a Raise the Titanic score somewhere out there? And I can remember my eyes popped out one day when I saw that, you know, thanks to Nick Rain and the, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, Prague, or, uh, Prague Orchestra Q. and uh, James Fitz, Fitz, right. Fitzpatrick is the producer. Right, right. Yeah, Thanks it's um, this group of folks. We have what we have, and even though, like you said, it's not uh, note for note in some areas, it's pretty darn close. And the the prelude and the 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 music of the ship coming in, strangely enough, being towed into the New York Harbor. Uh, is one of my, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love Barry's work overall, especially with the James Bond films, mm -hmm. but raise the Titanic, I think is my number one Barry, uh, score. Just, I'll take a lot of it as, you know, the, you know, wonder and awe as a kid, but it still does a number on me every time I listen to it. Yeah. We're, we're going to, after all this buildup, we're going to have to play it. There's there's several cues here that uh, you'll uh, be able to hear, uh, and and it's a nice mix because it is awe-inspiring type music and and uh, poignant and sad. And then there's there's another uh, there's a section in there that it, to me might be 
one of the most beautiful pieces he ever wrote. It's almost like a like a ballet and a waltz kind of a feel to it, but it's just gorgeous. So I, I think you're in for a treat here. These are a, a variety of different cues from the film Raise the Titanic, and it's written by John Barry.
So what's um what's in the future for you, Jonathan? What uh, you got anything in the pipeline or uh, things that you're going to be working on or, or goals that you've got here coming up in the near future? Oh, yeah. Uh, like I had mentioned, uh, directing those episodes of Cookville, we are now, at least uh, for the episodes that I directed, uh, I'm entering into the uh, post-production phase, uh, and I'm about to sit down with an editor and uh, put those stories together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how those turn out um, because uh, the writing was just phenomenal. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I, I can't wait to see what people, you know, think overall. It's uh, it's going to be an eight episode season, and um, you know, so I'm really excited to, you know, take care of you know those episodes that I'm um, molding. I guess I could say. Okay. Uh, other than that, uh, I've got uh, a film where I was cast to play uh, a heavy for a crime boss that will uh, ramp up production in the next month. I'll be shooting that in Mississippi. Um, and that's going to be a, a little bit of a challenge for me because uh, I'll have to uh, handle, uh, at least my character handles a machine gun and there's a Ooh. lot of fight choreography involved in it. So I'm really excited to, uh, you know, get started and uh, prep for that. Yeah. Uh, and then, well, go ahead. Well, that's, that's great. So, I mean, you've got, you've got some things in the pipeline, and so that's good to hear. Is there, is there a, a website where people can uh, learn more about you? Do you have your own website, or are you listed on IMDb or you know, anything like that? I, I don't currently have a website for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find me. I'm I'm one of a handful of Jonathan McIntoshes on the, <laughs> the website, uh, but it's uh, it's really uh, I haven't really um, added anything to it uh, recently. Uh, it's mostly uh, comprising of a, a lot of things that I did in the New Orleans area when I was growing up in the the mid '90s. Um, you know, uh, so if you were to look that up, you'd see that. Uh, I was able to uh, participate in films like Ray, Runaway Jury, and, um, you know, the great Bill Condon, one of his handful of first films, Candyman 2. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, look, Jonathan, I I can't thank you enough for the, uh, for your time and for your effort in in helping to put this program together. I've thoroughly enjoyed kind of geeking out with you on, uh, on film scores and and you've made some really great choices and, uh, led to really good discussion about what you love about film music. I uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, I, I did, Frank. I, I had a wonderful time geeking out, and you know I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to do so. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just uh, be on the lookout for this man. I, hopefully, you will see him on your TV screens or big screens sometime soon. A variety of different products, uh, projects. Just uh, keep your eyes open for that. And uh, with that, that's that's going to wrap it up for us today. And again, my sincere thanks to Jonathan for joining us. Uh, and my thanks to you as well as listeners for supporting the program and uh, continuing to download and listen to various episodes. So with that, there's just uh, only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?